It's the Stinkin' Truth Podcast with Mark Schlereth, presented by Core Water. Hey, welcome in Stinkin' Truth Podcast. Mark Schlereth alongside Mike Evans, Scott DeHuff, producing the show. Got to thank our presenting sponsor, the fine folks over there at Core Water. Oh, hydratewithcore.com. I'll tell you what, award-winning taste, perfect pH balance, matches your body's natural hydration level of 7.4. That's science, people. Your body, 7.4. This water, 7.4. 7.4 what? Who knows? <laughs> Nobody. Nobody. That's Potential how, hydration. Yeah, that's how that's how deep this science goes. It's potentially hydrating if you just drink it. Open up the big blue cap, suck some down. You're going to love it. That's uh, Core Water, hydratewithcore.com for more information. How are you, buddy? I'm uh, I'm excited. The draft. Yes. The draft is approaching a couple days away. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is like Christmas morning for a lot of us. The the build up to the draft, which makes which makes this Raiders story to me so fascinating, so funny, and yet so Raider that they sent home all their scouts over the weekend with right. the idea and the uh, the message: don't come back until the draft. Right? What the hell? Or is it t- till the draft or after the draft? Now they're saying. Hey man, there's there's so many side stories to this whole thing. It's so Raider esque. Now it's like you know there there's rumors about uh, Mike Mayock, the new GM, and John Gruden not trusting the scouting staff. Remember now the scouting staff was there under um, Reggie McKenzie, and Reggie McKenzie got fired last year. They hired Mike Mayock, so that's a lot of Reggie McKenzie's appointed people. So, you know, you talk about a, an organization that's basically going to scrap pile everything they've been doing going in a different direction. And now they've also released a story now that it's uh, the potential of where well, there may be a mighty shakeup at four. Like, we're going to shock the world. We're shocking the world. We're going to take somebody that nobody's ever heard of. Right. I mean, that's that's part of that's part of this whole um, ridiculous. Th- the subterfuge aspect of the draft is what I find fascinating like I'm not a big draft fan I know there's a lot of people that are just like you know I always make fun of them giving grades out after they're out this team got an A this team got a C you know you have no idea how the kid's going to transition from one level to the next level I've never been a big fan of the draft ever even when I worked it all those years at ESPN it was more you know, time to make the donuts kind of work for me than uh, than it was. Fascination. The other thing kinda is kind of faked it, huh? Oh, we, absolutely. Look how hard I'm working over here. Oh, look at all the numbers. <laughs> you know, I mean, I watched the film. <laughs> Usually, what I did was I covered the defensive line and the offensive line. You know, that's what they asked me to do, which was fine. I get it. It's it's great, but like everybody's got a everybody's got multiple mock drafts. I'm getting mock drafts from people that you know, like don't even cover the league and be oh new mock draft is out oh my god we got to look at it so th- the whole thing has always just kind of annoyed me but the Raiders have taken it to a whole nother level with we're sending everybody home don't talk to anybody you know we, we got to keep our trade secrets close to the vest and um, I don't know it just but it, it is kind of funny isn't it the, 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 we're talking about a draft here right. Mm-hmm. But yet the level of paranoia or the level of you're really trying to sell me on this right. levels that, you know, the BS level that mm-hmm. starts to really acute. I mean, the BS gets deep around this time. And I mean, the Cardinals, for example, I mean, <laughs> what a what a what an effort being made by the Cardinals 
to project the idea that we love Sam Rose, uh, Josh Rosen. We're not in a hurry to get rid of Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen's looked really good in the minicamps. Right, right. It reminds me of uh, it reminds me of the movie Dodgeball, and I don't know if you if you're familiar with the movie Dodgeball. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. So um, it's an American classic. It's it's great, but they're they're talking cinematography at its best, right? They're talking about uh, uh, who's the what's the, well, the main actor's name now? I can't. It's escaping me. Yeah, what? No, ben. no, not not Ben Stiller, but the other guy, the tall guy, Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn is like he's like they're asking about the day. Hey, hey, we don't even know who our best player is yet. Like we're like we're we're still trying to find out. We're still going through it. You're like he's got this ragtag bunch of misfits, right? We don't even know. We like we're not we're not ready to say who our best player is. What I mean. And and that's the Arizona Cardinals. Like they are doing such a such a such a a poor a, just a piss poor sell job of oh, we don't even know if it's going to be Kyler Murray. We may go in a completely different direction. I mean, we love uh, Josh Rosen. He is uh, boy working hard in the shorts and t shirts. He really looks good, you know. And um, and from Steve Kime, the general manager, to Cliff Kingsbury, the new head coach, you know, I mean, it's it's almost comical. It's almost comical how hard they're selling. The fact that the the harder they sell the fact that maybe it's not going to be Kyler Murray, the more it just is okay. It's Kyler Murray. Let's move on. But all it takes is one, right? All it takes now, is one. I could team see to actually think that they they're serious and they'll say, well, if we want Josh Rosen, we're going to have to give up a first round pick to do it. All it well, takes I is can, one. You know what I see more than that? You know, because now the, there's a new report out there that we're not going to. You know, we're not giving 80 cents on the dollar for Josh Rose. Oh, give me a freaking break. Like, give me a break on that. We're not going to – we're not giving – we're just not going to give them away. No, you're not. But, you know, I mean, you're not going to get a dollar for dollar. I guarantee you that. You're not getting the 10th overall pick for Josh Rosen or the ninth or whatever the hell he was, right? So you're not getting dollar for dollar. So, yeah, you are going to get the, – the, the quote was they're not going to take 80 cents on the dollar. Yeah, they are. They'd love 80 cents on the dollar. They, I mean, they would, they'd be doing backflips for 80 cents on the dollar. Here's what I could see happening. Okay, The one scenario I could see happening with them is very much like, uh, remember the Niners in Chicago a couple years ago where they flipped draft picks? Like the Niners were at two, I believe. They went down to three, and the Chicago Bears moved up to two, and they took Mitchell Trubisky, and the 49ers got Solomon Thomas, the defensive end or defensive tackle from um, Stanford. Like, I could see them moving down a spot or two. So, letting, you know, San Francisco or letting somebody else come up to number one, knowing that they would probably not go down below three, which I believe is the Jets, to make sure that they stay in front of the Raiders so they can still get Kyler Murray. So, I could see a move like that being made, but trying to sell me that Josh Rosen's going to be your guy? Come on. All right. So, if the Cardinals have failed. The subterfuge game. Yeah. I look at a team like the Broncos as like acing it because I have seen six, maybe eight different players associated with them in mock drafts Mm -hmm. at number 10. And and here's maybe the, the, the best part of their subterfuge. Everybody around the nation seems to look at them and say, oh, rebuilding team. Joe Flacco's a Band-Aid. They're going to draft a quarterback. And yet, most people in Denver seem to have bought into the idea that the Broncos think they can win this year. So, the last thing they're going to do is draft a quarterback right. who's going to be no impact this year and be bypass on a player who can really help them win 
this year. Right. I mean, it's a total disconnect. Everybody outside of Denver thinks quarterback. Everybody inside of Denver's like, no, they're not going to draft a quarterback. They'd be stupid to draft a quarterback. So how do you explain I, that? I, I, I mean, I think, you know, one, I think the national media is, is the national media. I mean, I think they, they think that, you know, the only way to fix a franchise is draft a quarterback. How many teams have you seen? I mean, how many years in a row did Cleveland take quarterbacks before they finally found a guy? And are you are you going to go two decades of, of drafting quarterbacks until you find your guy? You know, I think there's this narrative that when you're rebuilding, you got to rebuild with a quarterback, and it's got to be a first round quarterback. Because if you don't have a first round quarterback, I mean, there's just no way you can win. Uh, and look and look at the history of the league; it's all first round. Well, there's a reason that it's all first round quarterbacks because. 70% of them are drafted in the first round? You I mean, you think about it. And if you look at this quarterback class, there'll probably be four or five guys taken in the first round. If you remember going into this, going last year, going into this draft class, everybody said, really weak draft class, no really good quarterbacks av- uh, uh, available. You know what? Every year. It's a weak draft class. Last year, it was the greatest draft class. Hall of Fame five. Everybody's going to the Hall of Fame. Baker Mayfield played well. <laughs> you can tell, you can say Lamar Jackson played well. Yeah, if if you're counting him being a running back. Well, and, and even with Baker, put a little bit of an asterisk beside that. He was still the 26th overall rated quarterback in the NFL for QBR. Right. So I think what you have to understand is that the way, I guess the way the national media, and I'm part of the national media, looks at rebuilding a football team, and the way I look at rebuilding a football team, and I think I look at rebuilding a football team like a lot of teams look at like rebuilding a football team is is really yeah you got to I understand that you have to have a quarterback at some point I get that but I don't care if your quarterback is freaking Stretch Armstrong if you don't protect him and you don't take care of the things that never change like football is constantly evolving constantly but I'll tell you some things that never change you dominate line of scrimmage and you tackle well you win a lot of football games and I think there's a lot of organizations that think the way I think is that we got to build this damn thing from the inside out. And, you know, we're not going to find a unicorn in the draft that plays quarterback. we got to find football players. Here's the other thing about this quarterbacking class. If you started evaluating all the players in this, in this draft class, right, the quarterbacks would come in, like Kyler Murray may come in as the 20th, 30th, 40th best player in this draft. Like, the rest of the guys would be in, you know, like, Locke would probably be down in the 60s as Daniel Jones. Like, so you're going to say, I'm going to take a guy at 10 overall or I'm going to take a guy at at 6 overall and bypass 45 players who are better players, better football players, to get a guy who I'm taking a flyer on that may not be able to play? The stink, that's the herd mentality that exists. And, you know, to people who come back at me and like, well, you got to uh, gotta take a quarterback in the first round. Look at how many first-round quarterbacks there are starting in the NFL right now. Well, y- duh. I mean, there's been a flood of them. Sure. The market's been flooded with first-round quarterbacks because of that herd mentality, that feeling of panic that, well, we need a quarterback, and if you're going to get a quarterback, you have to get one in the right. first round. Yeah, we got we got a lot of first-round quarterbacks in the NFL right now, my question is, how many of them can really play? Right. I mean, you know, I mean, okay, I'll give you an example. Carson Wentz, first-round quarterback, mm-hmm. right? Right. But now, just a, a few short years, what, three years into his career, 
a career that's seen brilliance, but a career that's seen injury. You got respected guys like Donovan McNabb coming out and saying, hey, the Eagles might need to think about uh, addressing the quarterback position because they can't count on Carson Wentz. Yeah, Carson didn't play very well last year coming off an ACL, and usually anytime you come off an ACL, it takes you kind of a a full season to get your confidence back in that in that you know leg. So I think that's part of the issue. Um, I, I think the only question on Carson Wentz because I think Carson Wentz can play. I think the real question with Carson Wentz is can he stay healthy? Can he can he show that he has the ability to stay healthy? And and that's a legitimate question, Mike. Now, I think, obviously, it's way too early to pass judgment on Carson Wentz because, remember, in year two, he took his team to an, an incredible record. He was in Los Angeles playing the Rams when he tore his ACL, and then, you know, that born the, that, that gave birth to the Nick Foles rebirth, if you will, and, uh, you know, Nick Foles took the league by storm. And then last year, when the Eagles were struggling, Nick Foles came back in and distributed the ball where Carson Wentz is, you know, if you want to be critical the way he played, he became too tied and too much of a security blanket to his tight end, um, Zach Ertz. And, and you know, the receivers complained. They were much happier um, because the ball was being distributed with Nick Foles playing quarterback. But I don't think there's anything wrong with Carson Wentz's quarterbacking skills. Um I think it's it's health is the issue, you know, with Carson with Carson Wentz. Well, last two years, just you continue on with your point here. Let me just interject. Last two years, you played twenty four games, so twenty four mm-hmm. out of a possible thirty two. But in those twenty four games, fifty four touchdowns, and only fourteen picks. Yeah. So I mean, there's quarterback skills there. He just needs to, you know, he just needs to have the health, Mike. Um, but again, we get so you know we get so dialed in to. To quarterback, and I understand that all the rules are bent towards playing quarterback, right? Every rule is is made for those guys to have success, and and I understand the importance of it. And you know, you could, I mean, I would not argue with you. Everybody makes the compelling argument that the most uh, important position in any sport is the quarterback position, and and you're probably you know right. There's no question about it. But again, you have to have complete football teams, and like I said, you dominate lines of scrimmage. You you tackle well in this league. Um, those things don't come in and out of vogue. You know, there's no there's no like schemes change. You know, and the RPO game and this that and the other. Um, nothing will ever nothing ever will supplant whipping somebody's ass. Yeah, it's why I I I still don't believe the New York Giants at number six are going to take Dwayne Haskins. It seems like ever since mock drafts started, mm-hmm. everybody had. Haskins going to the Giants, and I just I look at Dave Gettleman. He just doesn't strike me as a no, draft a quarterback at all cost type guy. Right. He seems to be more like you, a build from the inside out type guy. Well, the, he's always been that way. And and here's the other thing: Why would you take if Haskins in your evaluation? Let's just I'll just put an arbitrary number on this. Let's say in your evaluation, Haskins is the thirtieth best player in the draft. And you're the New York Giants, and you're looking up at the ass of the Dallas Cowboys and of the Philadelphia Eagles and of, you know, of the Washington Redskins. I mean, it's not that's not a pleasant ass to look up, right? But that's where you are right now. Would you rather would you rather live this pipe dream that if we just get the quarterback, you know, we're on our way? You've already made the decision to move off of Odell Beckham Jr., not because he can't play, it's because 
spending seventeen thousand or seventeen million dollars a year on that guy when I've got a bunch of other needs that are more pressing and more important, and I can get an extra first round pick, and I can wheel and deal. Like if Dwayne Haskins is your thirty thirtieth ranked player, and you're picking number six, so I'm going to give up the value. Oh gosh, now math <laughs> of twenty four players that I think are better players. 24 other players that I think are better, and I'm going to take him at six? Heck no. I'm going to take a real live, game-changing, line-of-scrimmage football player at number six, be it a linebacker, be it a defensive tackle, whatever the case may be, and then at 17, I'm going to go get my quarterback, and maybe I move up to 10 with the Broncos, or maybe I move up to nine with uh, – nine or eight with Buffalo or Detroit, whichever, however that, I don't know the exact order, but you you know what I'm saying? Doesn't that make a heck of a lot more sense for me? It does, but yet we we live in a time right now where it's, you got to draft your quarterback and you got to draft your quarterback in the first round. And my response to that is, do you realize who the highest paid quarterback in the NFL is right now and where he was drafted? Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, the highest paid quarterback in the NFL right now is a former third-round pick in Russell Wilson. Right. Boom. And the best quarterback Mike in the Trout. NFL right now is former sixth-round pick. Correct. And the quarterback that currently holds the record for most guaranteed money in a contract mm-hmm. was a former, what, fourth-round pick? Kirk Cousins? There you go. So, you know, that that's always my response to the people who say you have to have a, a first-round quarterback. Speaking of Russell Wilson, so, did you see what he gave as a gift to his uh, 13 Seattle Seahawks offensive linemen? Yes, I did. The gift of stock. Yes. Amazon stock. $12,000 worth to each one. How cool. I think that is a really cool gift. Now, you are you being an offensive lineman, I'm sure right. you had gifts given to you by quarterbacks over yes, the years. Yes, yes. So, where does, where does Amazon stock rank among the best gifts given to an offensive lineman. I think that's one of the coolest gifts. I've, I've seen guys get like ATVs automatically depreciate, right? I mean, that's a appreciating asset that they get that he True. gave them. I mean, that is your your kids' college funds, you know? I mean, that I just think that that is a really thoughtful, insightful gift by Russell Wilson. And this is not a thing. Most of these times these gifts are given at the end of a football season. Hey, congratulations, guys. You know, great season. We did a good job. You know, blah, 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 blah. Really appreciate you guys. Here's a Rolex watch. You know, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I've got a bunch of Rolex watches given to me by Terrell Davis and Mark Rippon and other guys, you know, that I played with over the, over the course of my career. And those are really cool. I've gotten jackets. I've gotten all kinds of different, you know, golf clubs and different things of that nature. Um, but I just thought this was a really, I thought it was a really cool, insightful type of gift. Like it, it talked, it took some thought. They always say the thought that counts, it's the thought and the 12K. <laughs> but I think both those things together are pretty awesome. What did Elway give you? Elway, so I got Elway late in his career. And so we had. We would always. He was watching his money better at the end. <laughs> yeah. No. 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 We we would do um, we would do kangaroo court. So everything was a finable offense when when I played here in Denver. So we had a board up and it, we kept it up all year and everybody's name was on it and there were all these finable offenses. And so anytime you would do something that give me, was give, give us some examples. Um, talk to the media. Okay. 
You were quoted anywhere. You got quoted anywhere in any publication. It's like a fifty dollar a quote. Okay. Fifty dollars. Like I'll I'll never forget. We played. We played. This is early, probably nineteen ninety five. We go up to uh, New England to play the Patriots, and you know Tommy Nalen is from Foxborough, Massachusetts, and he's a young player in the league. He's probably in his second or third year, right? So everybody's pretty. I think it's the second year. So everybody's pretty excited, you know, to talk to Foxborough High School. Our, went to Boston College. Right, our Foxborough so. guy, yeah. our Boston College guy. Yeah. So in the corner of the locker room, Tommy is, you know, secretly trying to talk to some Boston, you know, reporter that he knows, right? So I, you know, we're not really paying attention, but our offensive line coach, Alex Gibbs, is. So Alex literally gets a hold of the paper and has them send a copy to Denver. And he gets it, like he has them overnight, the the thing. He gets it, he opens it up Friday, and he starts reading from the paper. The Bo- like the Boston Globe or the Foxborough Times or whatever the hell. I think it was a Foxborough paper, right? And he just starts reading from the paper. And it's just littered with Tommy Nalen quotes. And it's 50. 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50. So, um, so it was really, I mean, so we would do stuff like that. I come back from uh, having a, um, a knee scope. So bi week knee scope, had my knee scope. And there was this practice squad kid, I don't even remember his name, but every time he'd miss a block or he'd do something, he would clap his hands. And it drove Alex crazy. Like you'd be, you'd be like, oh, oh darn, like a mistake, yeah, oh, oh, dang it, dang it. Okay, clap. And so, anyhow, Alex, he, he had like three claps or four claps in a row in a one-on-one drill, and Alex got all pissed off in the meeting, started dog cussing him, and immediately instituted a fine. If you clap your hands after you make a mistake on film, it's a fifty-dollar fine, <laughs> right? So now I wasn't even in the meeting because I was getting rehab when this fine was established. So I come back to practice a couple days later. And I make a mistake on something, and I clap my hands, and everybody's like, $50, And I'm like, what are you talking about, 50 bucks? So it was a $50 fine. So getting back to what Elway, at the end of the day, you know, we'd have all these fines collected over the course of a year. You know, and it'd be thousands and thousands of dollars, and then we'd have a big party. We'd go to, you know, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, or we'd go somewhere, and, you know, we'd drink wine and, and eat steaks, and, I mean, we'd spend a buttload, a buttload of money. So Elway would always come in. And he'd look at the board, and he would just match it. So whatever the board was, it'd be like, like it'd be like nine thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars. And Elway would come in and go, "Okay, ten thousand bucks." Whoop, rip off the check, slap it down on us. And so then our party went from a ten thousand dollar party for you know eleven or twelve of us to a twenty thousand dollar party. That's cool. And we had to spend it all. It was like that was part of the deal. So they got these six hundred dollar bottles of Opus, you know, <laughs> another bottle of Opus. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was it was awesome. You man. guys, you guys are good. I, when I first came to Denver, it was when you guys were you had just won your first Super Bowl, so you're in your second Super Bowl year, and um, yeah, I mean, you guys off the record. So like media types could be talking to you guys off the record, and you guys sure opened up about everything. Yeah, the moment somebody took out a microphone or a notepad. Mm. Man, you guys were good. You just like, whoop. Yep. Like just a stone wall just came down. 
It, it was, was good. It was, it was impressive. Fun. You know, I, I always get people too back in those days. They're like, "You're such a hypocrite. You didn't speak to the media." I go, "Oh, I'm not a hypocrite. I spoke to the media all the time. It's not quotable, right? Just off the record, spoke to the media all the time. I had a lot of buddies in the media, so uh, you know, I mean, that that's just kind of the way we we operate. It was fun, man. We were fun loving. We had a great group of guys and. Um, guys that played hard and played well together. You know, that was the important thing. Yeah, you got to find a way to keep it loose. All that time you got to spend together. So, well, we get ready to welcome a whole new crop of NFL players in. Draft on Thursday. I know. We'll have reaction. Uh, we'll react to it on Friday. So, stay tuned. It's going to be great, man. As much as I hate the draft, I kind of like draft night. Draft night's kind of fun. You never got to experience draft. No, you did. You were drafted 10th round, right? Yeah. I, Back when the draft was 10 rounds? It was 12 rounds. 12 yeah. rounds. Oh, so you went in the 10th. I went in the 10th. Wow. All Not right. a lot of us. Defied the... expectations, huh? Yeah. No. <laughs> he went in the 10th round. Yeah. We all thought he was going to be a 12th rounder, but he went in the 10th instead. Great draft. Shocked the world. By the way, the best draft, probably the best top five draft of all time. Four of the five Hall of Famers. 1989. In your draft? In oh, my okay. draft. 1989. Troy Aikman. Yeah. Uh, Barry Sanders, yeah, oh. right. Derek Thomas, wow, and uh, and Deion Sanders. Four of the four of the top five were those guys. Yep, those were the t- four of the top. Who was five. fifth? Who was the guy that number two overall? Number five, Michigan State, Sports Illustrated. Oh, the incredible bulk. That's right, Tony Mandarich. Tony Mandarich. Wow, steroid much. Gosh, could you imagine if they wouldn't have made it? I mean, you guys were all doing steroids back then, but, geez, he took it to a whole other level, didn't he? No, you, no, they weren't. Mark. They, no, not at all. Mark. What, what do you need to know? When, when were steroids used in the NFL? In the 70s, early 80s. Remember, in 1989, I think they started random testing in like 87 was part of the let that collective bargaining agreement so at that point it was state-of-the-art the testing was really kind of state-of-the-art so um like there was in in my estimation coming in there was no like at least with the redskins there was no steroid use oh okay i yeah i i, I Forgive my ignorance. I didn't realize that. No, he was, I mean. Because he was so blatant. I thought. Well, he was, he was, there's no question he was blatant. But if you, like, if you followed the story, once he got in the league where he was doing unbelievable things in the weight room, then they did like a, I remember this story about them doing, in Green Bay at the time, they did the 315 test, like how many times you could do 315. And, like, he was, I think he, because he had to get off all the sauce. He had to get off after the draft or before the draft all the, the roids. So what he was doing pre-combine, pre pre-workout, and then what he did when he got to camp, and he had, I remember him complaining about, well, I got this sickness, and I was really you know, not, I know, not doing it. But he did like eight reps with 315. Shit, I could do 12 right now. I'm 53 years old. Yeah, but you're yoked. That's true. And he, but he was three hundred and fifteen yeah. pounds. Yeah. You know, so um, I might be able to do more than twelve. I may be selling myself short. <laughs> <laughs> Such a humble guy. <laughs> oh, anywho, um, yeah. So I mean, that was, but it was what a great draft. Okay. And then in the tenth round, two sixty three overall, uh, guard from Idaho, 
Actually, that was a center from Idaho. That's right. Came a tribe from the North, brave and bold, bearing banners of silver and gold, tried and true to subdue all their foes. Vandals. Come on, you vandals. In the 10th round, the Washington Redskins select Mark Scalithereth. Yes. <laughs> what? What a dick. <laughs> hey, for Scott the Huff, I'm Mark Schlereth and the dick, Mike Evans. And the dick. We'll be back on Friday to wrap up the draft.